Hello and welcome to the Silver Linings Podcast. This is our debut episode and we couldn't be more excited about it. On today's episode, I sit down with Margaret Zuzo, or Margot as she's known to most people, to recount the story of our dear friend Jeff Brown. He was and always will be the inspiration to this podcast, and it just felt right that we start with him. Margot is an incredible person, as you'll see, and asked me specifically before we started that I ask any question I wanted to. She was willing to talk about everything, which just goes to show you the type of person that she is. I think you will all learn a lot from her, as I already have. So without further ado, thank you for joining us, and let's get to the interview. Okay, we are live. Hi, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Scott Stevens, and here with me is our first guest on our first episode, Margo Zuzo. Margo, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. I'm so glad you're able to come on here and do this. This is, I think, for both of us, a really um, great experience, uh, inspirational one for both of us. We, I think we both have a unique um, connection and tie to what we're going to be talking about here, mm-hmm. and I think it'll be a really good experience for our listeners to know that and kick this off. So for everyone listening at home, this is our first episode of the Silver Linings Podcast, uh, I am new at this. I will be open and honest and admit that. Um, we're going to learn as we go, but I think it's going to be a fun opportunity and a chance for everybody to really learn and grow with one another. That's the whole point of um, what we're trying to accomplish here with this. So um, to start out, let's go ahead and, and get to know Margot a little bit. Um, for each of our guests, what I'd like to do is ask them three questions. And so I'm going to ask these same ones to Margot. It is, who are you? What do you do? And what happened to you? And we're going to use that to kind of guide us here in that. So let's start with the first one. Margot, who are you? So my name's Margaret Zuzo. Um, Everybody calls me Margot. And um, as far as what I do, I am the assistant vice president for a special education company. So I work in curriculum and instruction for those kids. Um, And then... The third one is, what happened to you? (laughs) Well, so to make it simple, basically what happened was I was on a hike with a friend and he fell, and we attempted to rescue him over the course of a couple of days, and he didn't make it. Okay. So that's what we're going to get into and talk about that um, quite a bit. So I think as, as a setup to that, so everyone knows where we're coming from right now, there's an important part to this as well. We are actually in um, the house that Jeff had bought um, before he passed away just a few months before. I believe he bought it in April, and he ended up passing away in when you guys were on the hike, was in August, mm-hmm. um, correct? So right. um, Margot, for the time being, has been living here. Um, so we're in his room in his house. So this is, for both of us, I think, actually a really special moment. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's really unique. You know, one of the last times I saw Jeff, he invited me over here to the house to show me and do this. Um, so this is a really cool experience, I think, for both of us to do that. So getting back to that, so Margot lives here in Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. And we also have a background here. Margot and I knew each other through Jeff. That was how we initially met. So we were uh, living in Huntington Beach at the time. Jeff was my roommate, first roommate when I moved to California. And it was through him, I believe, or through some of our roommates that we became friends. You lived in the same um, a complex or the... Same community. Community. Yeah, we were just down the street from one another, about five or six houses. And um, the house where Jeff and Scott lived was just a house where, you know... At- Everybody went over there to watch, you know, The Bachelor or whatever TV show was on that. My wife still makes fun of me right. for that. I'll, I'll point out about watching The Bachelor, but... I'm sure. <laughs> but it was a really fun house, and so I spent a lot of time over there and became friends with Scott in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So we did, and it was through that, we did a lot of different hikes and adventures with Jeff. 
he was an outdoorsy person. He was just somebody that loved being outside, going on hikes. I feel like anytime I went camping down in Southern California, it was with Jeff. Um, and that's, you know, I remember one time we went on a trip to Joshua Tree and mm-hmm. he planned everything and did everything for us. He'd made the same meals, did all the same stuff. So being outside with Jeff is not anything out of the ordinary, right? Not at all. That's yeah. what he is known for more than anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's then get to and talk about a little bit leading into kind of where you guys were and what was going through your, I mean, you planned this trip to Sequoia's, Mm -hmm. Sequoia National Park with some friends and you were going to go do this hike. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, Jeff and I decided that we were going to meet up with some friends that were up in Sequoia and um, it was a group of like 10 or 12 people who had gone up there on a Friday night. But Jeff, just being who he is, didn't really want to deal with the traffic of a Friday night. So we decided that we were going to go a little bit independently of the group. And we would go up early Saturday morning. So we woke up about 4 in the morning and left for Sequoia. Drove up there, listening to music along the way. And it's another thing Jeff was really mm-hmm. well known for is his impeccable taste in music. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were listening to you know all of, all of his different mixes and everything. And... Um, yeah, so the purpose of, of that was just we, we wanted to get, get up there super early because there was one hike in particular Jeff wanted to do, and that was up to Alta Peak. And okay. he had been to Sequoia a couple of, well, maybe about a year prior, okay. and wanted to do that and ended up actually spraining his ankle pretty badly or injuring his ankle, and um, so he couldn't make it at that point. So he was stoked on being able to go back up there and do this hike. So... We drove on up and we met up with the crowd that was already there, said hi for a few minutes, yeah. and then repacked our bags, getting ready for this, uh, you know, 14 mile hike, and uh, went on our way. Okay, so you went and you met up with everybody, but you were like, "No, we're gonna go do our own thing. <laughs> yeah. We're I'm, we're a little more advanced than a group of 14 type of thing." And you wanted to, yeah, you had this this hike planned for a long time. Then it sounds like, yeah, and I think. Jeff and I, that was really common with us and mm-hmm. with our friendship is um, we, anytime there was a big crowd like that, we both sort of retreated into our own little private conversations and we just understood each other on that level. And that was something unique about our friendship that we could have this truly deep but platonic friendship that mm-hmm. um, allowed us to really be there almost on like a brother sister type level. Yeah. And that's why when we got in these big crowds like that, we just kind of preferred to do our own thing. Yeah. And everybody knew that about us. And that was one of the things that made it so when we were gone for as long as we were, mm-hmm. the others really weren't worried because they were sort of like, oh, Jeff and Margot, they tend to do their own independent <laughs> thing anyway. Yeah. So Interesting. So and why do you think, and I know you guys had that unique relationship. So what is it you think that Jeff was drawn to you about that for a 14 mile hike, you said, right? Yeah. I mean, to to paint the picture for everyone who does not know Margot, she is a incredibly tough package, but not what you'd expect. <laughs> Margot is how how tall are you, Margot? Barely five foot. Barely five foot. And so when you see her, you don't go, yeah, that girl probably loves to get outside and hike these grueling things. I'll, I'll put that out there. Mm-hmm. But Jeff knew you are a tough cookie, right? And he's like, right. okay, I need somebody. He didn't want to go alone. Mm-hmm. I need somebody to come do a fourteen mile hike with me. Who can right. I get? And who does he call? But Margot. And he just knew you'd be game, right? Is that yeah. kind of And we always were. We I always was game for 
Jeff's adventures. And like you mentioned earlier, he was the planner. So he would plan it from start to finish. And my job was just to show up and kind of tag along behind him. And I loved to do it because Mm -hmm. it was a great time. We had the best conversations. We would, you know, sing. And even on that day, we were singing the whole time. Um, We were out of service range on our phones. So we weren't listening to music. We were enjoying the nature sounds, enjoying conversation. And that was just really typical for us. And Jeff knew that about me. He knew that I was willing to come along for any adventure. And um, that's what he was looking for that day. Yeah. So what uh, what was the hike like? I mean, where did this all take place? Or tell us like that day, maybe hours leading up to it and stuff, what you guys were doing. So like I mentioned on the drive up, we were listening to music and he had a um, playlist on Spotify called discover.daily. And before that, he had a, um, a blog music blog and a lot of people were really into that um anyway so we were talking about his different choices of music lately and just once again enjoying each other's company Mm -hmm. and um that was you know the gist of the drive up was just this sort of like goofy funny back and forth conversation and he was really excited about the chance to do that hike again given that he had been injured before and wasn't able to complete it and we when we stopped by to see everybody we actually did ask everyone like hey does anyone want to go on this and the rest of the group wanted to go on a shorter hike I think it was like a five or six mm-hmm. mile uh, so what s- normal people would, yeah, want to, right. would want to do right I mean <laughs> right a manageable normal people would want to do a day hike of that nature for yeah. sure and um but you know we did throw it out there and nobody else really wanted to come so we uh, and we kind of were okay with that to be honest with you we were like all right that's cool that's kind of what we had expected and planned for and um So at the camp, all we did really was say hi to everybody for about Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. We um, then packed a lunch. We made peanut butter jelly sandwiches, got some beef jerky, that kind of thing, put them in our backpacks, filled up our water, put our, you know, gear on, our shoes on, all Mm -hmm. that. And then we drove about a mile from the campsite up to the trailhead, parked the car. And uh, I remember a couple of interesting things happened there that I reflected on back later. One of them being that Jeff showed me where he hid his key. And I'm not really sure why he chose not to bring it with him Hmm. um, because we both had backpacks. So it easily could have been put in the backpack. But instead, he he decided to hide it. And um, he showed me in the wheel well where there was like a specific spot. And he was he he worked for Hyundai. So he was super into cars and um, technology and all of that. And so that was something that, um, you know, it wasn't surprising that Jeff was excited about this, you know, tiny little compartment that Hyundai had hidden in behind their wheel well for him to hide his key. So he did that. And, um, you know, later on when we needed to move his car, I actually knew where that you was. You knew where it was. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, knowing the end from the beginning. I mean, right. that's an in- a very interesting thing you could say, right? Then- exactly. And a couple other things like that. Um, one other thing I'll share was that he, I also asked, are you bringing your ID with you? And he kind of looked at me strangely, like, why would I bring my ID on a hike? But I just, for whatever reason, felt like I should. And so I brought mine with me and he showed me where he put his, he showed me where he was going to put it, which was in the glove box. And again, I was able to let the people know later, this is his car. You'll find his ID here. Um, and it had some of the information on it was pertinent for the rescuers later to be able to find his family. So. And you never know, I mean, how much of that was like meant to be beforehand inspired and how much of it is you look back now and can find coincidences. But, right. you know, some of that stuff is just mm-hmm. very interesting knowing 
what was about to happen right. versus, you know, and then you wouldn't have ever thought twice about it mm-hmm. probably any other time. So then you guys take off on the hike. Yeah. And we talked about that. And you were just saying how Jeff was just in his element, right? I mean, right. what you told me before, he just obviously, from what we've said before, he loved being outside. What was mm-hmm. it like going on that hike now once you guys take off? Well, so it was interesting because as we started the hike, we were both in high spirits, but I was a little bit worried whether or not um, I was going to be able to keep up with Jeff, frankly Mm -hmm. speaking. He's just faster than everybody else, and everybody knew that. And so when you sign up for an adventure like that, you're always tagging a little bit behind him, and um, that's just how it was. So I remember we stopped at the map because we wanted to study it one last time and decide if we truly were going to go up to Alta Peak or if we were going to take a shorter hike which started along the same path to Pear Lake. Um, Pear Lake was a little bit shorter of a hike. It had a lower elevation gain and so you know I kind of contemplated doing that instead and Jeff was supportive but in the end I decided no I'm I'm ready to do this. We can go ahead and just do the, the tougher hike. So we were thoughtful about it and what was what's the reason why I'm pointing that out is because Those who know Jeff know that he was careful about his choices. He Mm -hmm. thought through them. He never did anything that was too rash. He always, um, he had excellent decision-making skills. And so we studied the map and we decided where we wanted to go. And then we headed in that direction. But Jeff's thought was, even at that point, well, maybe what we can do is we can hike up to Alta Peak and then from there hike down to Pear Lake. So... We sort of, we started to think about it at that point, and then we took off on the hike, and, and again, like I say, headed up toward Alta Peak. Well, on the hike itself, he was just in high spirits and having a great time. We were talking about all sorts of different friends and their accomplishments and just all good things, and um, we stopped for a couple breaks and had some snacks, and um, we were singing the whole time, songs from his playlist that he had showed me on the way up. And um, I remember toward the end of the hike, it was getting really cold and uh, my fingers were going numb and I was just sort of beat. Yeah. What, what time of day is it at this point? I mean, is it still daylight it's at this point or daylight, where are you guys yeah. at? So we started the hike probably around 8.30 or 9 in the morning. Okay. And by the time we made it up to the peak, it was probably about 3, 3.30 mm-hmm. in the afternoon. So... Um, it was an all dayer. I mean, we, yeah. we expended a lot of energy getting up there, but at that very last crest, Jeff was behind me and, um, I remember him really gently saying, Margo, can I pass you? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine, Jeff. And so he, I was like, you should have mentioned it sooner, but he just wanted to stick with me. But that last maybe 500 yards or so, he just sprinted ahead yeah. and um, made it to the very top of the peak. And by the time I got up there, probably, you know, five minutes later or something, I mean, not a long amount of time, he was speaking Spanish with these people that were up there and just um, making friends with everybody. And it was like I got to the top of the mountain and there was a party going on and yeah. Jeff was at the helm of all of that. You You're know? like, how did you do this? was a few minutes. How did <laughs> exactly. you make friends with all these people that, that quickly? Exactly. But anyone who knows Jeff knows that was his personality, that he could be friends, befriend anybody um, almost instantly just because of how genuine and really just charming his personality was. So he, because my hands were numb, he signed our names in the register and um, 
we just kind of took out the camera and took some pictures. We took a bunch of selfies. Mm -hmm. Jeff wanted to take a bunch of jumping pictures. And there was a peak a little ways off, maybe like a two-minute walk from there, that he wanted to walk up and then um, take some pictures where, where I would take some pictures of him jumping. And he did that and I totally was that friend that was supportive like oh yeah it's super dangerous but go on ahead it looks like a cool picture and he did and they were cool pictures and then we moved on um and you know it wasn't there was no bad outcome it was fine um but at that point we looked down and over the lake and um again Jeff said do you think we should hike down to the lake do you think we can do it and I was just like, you know what, Jeff, whatever you think. If you think we can, I'm game to try. And it didn't look super difficult. And we had actually run into someone on the hike on the way up who mentioned that there was a path you could take on the way down. And again, being the type of person that Jeff was, he thought it through, he evaluated it, and then he decided, yeah, okay, let's head down there. Um, But I think part of that was cemented by that person that we happened to run into on the way up there that said, for sure, there's absolutely a Had he or she just done that or was... She had not done done it herself, but she'd um, summited the mountain and looked down and said, there is for sure a path. Okay. Um, And so you guys took off down that way. mm -hmm. You're like, okay, we can do this. Absolutely. Get down going. That's towards, headed towards from Alta Peak to Pear Lake, right? That's where it was going. Right. So we started making our way down and we, the first little bit was um, bouldering and so we were just kind of maneuvering through all of that and there was one point where um, my left ankle kind of got wedged between some rocks. I like slid into some rocks and was stuck for a moment and Jeff heard the scuffle. Again, he was ahead of me, Mm -hmm. but he turned around and um, he's like, oh, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And he said, oh, I almost lost you there for a moment. And I just remember thinking how sweet and tender he was with me and just being very grateful for a friend like him Yeah. and really enjoying each other's company and enjoying the day. And he was skipping on those rocks. And again, he was singing and humming and just in a great mood. So, I mean, at this point then, you're able to, you you hurt your ankle a little bit. Mm -hmm. You're going downhill, down the mountain. Mm -hmm. Is it, I mean... Is it a pretty treacherous climb or is it within reason or what? I mean, what kind of, what's the terrain like? The terrain here, it was larger boulders yeah. and it wasn't anything super treacherous. It was absolutely like something you would come across um, in a number of other places. I know um, what I think about as far as that specific terrain um, to compare it to someplace that I've been that you've also been, Joshua Tree. Okay. It's kind of like that. Those big boulders, yeah, yeah. you can climb up and scale pretty easily. So it's not, I mean, the point I asked that is because it's not like you guys are doing something crazy. No. You're not going off trail. You're not doing anything like that. You're, I mean, to the point you made before, Jeff Mm -hmm. planned everything out. Exactly. He knew this. You had a recommendation. Mm -hmm. You're staying within reason. Right. You just get to this point where you're like, okay, this is a little bit tougher than what we might have thought. So is it, is, Mm -hmm. I mean... I know you had mentioned too, like, is this getting late at this point? This has been a little bit longer to the top of the peak. Like, right. are you thinking we need to hurry? Is the weather okay? Like, what, I mean, what's going on at that point? So, at that point, everything had been okay. Um, and then, as soon as we finished that sort of bouldering section, it flattened out and there were just some larger granite slabs that we were walking across and um, jumping jumping over some puddles because it started to rain at that point. 
and everything was sort of becoming slick and um, off in the distance we could see the lake but we could also see it was a ways down and we put our jackets on at that point and um, I mentioned to him oh we got it kind of hurry we're losing daylight and um, just as I said that the cloud started rolling in and it started dumping on us just raining oh, wow. and hailing and uh, lightning as well and the lightning was really super close you could you know tell it, from uh-huh. the distance of the the lightning to the thunder and um, we were thinking about our friends we were like oh we hope that they're okay they're caught you know out in this as well and they all went to a waterfall so we were talking about just the risk of being out and near the water when there is an electrical storm like that going on. Um, anyhow, so it was raining at that point, and um, it did not dampen our spirits at all, though. I mean, we were skipping around and having so much fun like a couple of kids in the rain. It was the best. Mm-hmm. And Jeff truly was in his element, like you mentioned, and he was super happy, and he was like, come on, Margie Poopy, let's go. And, um, you know, just calling me silly nicknames and being sweet. And um, I remember at one point there was a rock we came upon that um, Jeff jumped from one rock to another. And he turned around and he said, Margo, this is going to be hard, but you can do it. And he extended his hand to me and he helped me jump from rock to rock. And um, that became something that I heard him say in my head later on in the day when I needed that. Um, that support but I remember thinking at the time this is an easy little jump I don't really need your help but thank you you know Mm -hmm. Um, he was looking out for me and we continued to the edge of the um, basically the saddle of the mountain was right there and you could overlook from there down to uh, you could see the lake from there but um, we started to realize at that point that it was going to be a lot more challenging than we had assumed or um, predicted to get down to the lake okay could you turn is this a point where you were able to could you have turned back or was it at this point like you had to keep going or what did you think about that so at this point we were pretty much forced into a downward direction okay we couldn't go back up the way we we came that was just it was just not Mm -hmm. possible we didn't have the gear to climb back up those larger boulders Um, and so the option was to make it down and we looked at each other and we said, you know, basically we said to each other, is this, you know, how do you feel about this? Are you feeling okay? Are you feeling okay? And we kept checking in with one another the entire time we were checking in and, um, we kept, we were, uh, heading down the mountain and we were scaling it, um, piece by piece and every little bit that we would do we would kind of turn to each other and say okay I think that there's a path this way you know and I would call that out and then Jeff would say I think there's a path this way and then we would kind of compare and then together we would choose which looked the safest but even at this point we didn't feel like we were in any danger of any kind we just felt like okay it's a little more challenging the rocks are slick we'll be careful and we were we Mm -hmm. were very thoughtful about every step we took and everything we chose to do was um as a team there were there wasn't one or the other of us that was really leading at that point um and then we found ourselves in this position where we were really stuck on this um piece of rock that jutted out and it was granite and it, it was pointed downward and um we were kind of stuck on it. it was almost like a little catwalk and um we had no choice but from there to attempt to jump 
from that rock down about five or six feet um, to a flat granite rock. And that was the jump that Jeff was attempting to do when Mm -hmm. he actually got turned around, slipped and fell, um, and he slid off of the side of the mountain. So how, and like, this was just kind of like blink of an eye happened so quickly. Blink of an eye. We were on this rock and he actually turned to me and he said, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And I said, I think we can make it. And he said, I feel good about it. And then he jumped and he um, jumped facing downward. So meaning that I could see his back and then he swiftly sort of turned around Mm -hmm. and um, because the rock was so slick, he slipped out from under himself and fell belly down onto the rock and looked up at me and then he slid off of the rock and I was watching all of this happen and it was from my position perched on this rock where Mm -hmm. I could not reach him Um, even if I would have been able to reach him there's actually no way I would have been able to react as quickly as it actually happened Um, and I remember being perched on that rock and sort of waiting just for the sound of anything at all yeah and not hearing anything for a long period of time and um almost subconsciously counting it out the seconds one two three four five and then i heard a noise which was the impact and could not see from that point Mm -hmm. what had happened so that's when i started calling out for jeff yeah Mm -hmm. so this is the point i mean you know i obviously that's it's a hard story for I think both of us to hear again. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. hard for you to tell. Um, you know, we don't need to get into a lot of all of the details that go into it from there. I know a lot of people that knew Jeff have been curious, and some maybe have heard that story, others maybe haven't. Um, but I think that this is an interesting part right here, because to me, I think this is the beginning of your mm-hmm. crossroads. You've just witnessed something that nobody would ever want to witness. Mm-hmm. Nobody should have to witness, right? And this is the first point to me in your story when you've talked to me about it. Like, Mm -hmm. this is where you have to make a choice. Do you panic and freak out and lose it? Mm -hmm. Or do you just kind of go, okay, my friend is in need, is in danger. Like, what do you do? And you mentioned to me, like, something kicked in Mm -hmm. that you just kind of went into, like, this, like, power mode or something like that, right? For lack of a better word, that you did. And you just knew, like, I need to help my friend. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I think it's, well, it's been interesting for me because I'm a person who has had anxiety. Um, I've experienced panic attacks before. I know what they feel like. And here I was in this situation where it was actually life or death. Um, Not just for Jeff, but also for me. We were both in a precarious position. We were both in a a situation that, um, you know, could be life or death, like I say. And I, with that, I also have been a person that has taken a lot of challenges on in my life and I've really not backed away from those. I've tried to face whatever is going on in my life head Mm -hmm. on and I've, you know, done a lot of traveling around the world by myself and like you mentioned earlier, Jeff knew I would be game for this hike because Mm -hmm. I try to be tough Mm -hmm. and so I actually had this moment where I said out loud, after calling for Jeff, calling out for help, trying to call on my phone um, and not getting through uh, to 911, where 
I asked myself out loud, are you going to be brave or not? And um, basically it was like, okay, girl, you think you're so tough and you do all these things and travel around the world by yourself and hike all these mountains, run a marathon, whatever. You think you're so tough. Here you are. What are you going to do? And it was in that moment where it was an actual choice that I made that yes, I was going to be brave and I was going to summon the courage to find my way down to Jeff and make sure that he was all right and get him help if he wasn't okay. Wow. And that's what I did. Yeah, that's incredible. So you get down there and we can kind of, you know, be be sensitive to this part, obviously, but like Jeff, he wasn't uh, dead at this point. Mm-hmm. You, you spoke to him a little bit. Right. And you've told me and you get down there, but then you basically realize you need to go get help. Right. You could stay there with him, but then... It's getting late. Like both of you might not make it at that point. Mm-hmm. So then I feel like you're faced with another challenge. Absolutely. Are you going to be brave again? And I, I love that. That just like hit me with such power when you when you ask that to yourself. You say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. Like are you going to be brave? What are you going to do about this? Mm-hmm. And then you have to keep going down. And then you face another challenge in front of you that there's the lake at the right. bottom, right? So can you right. take us there? And it wasn't just the lake. There was a glacier. I mean there was the the rock face itself pretty much is a vertical at that point and all of a sudden I mean I just had all of this inspiration after seeing Jeff and talking to him and not being sure if he was going to make it um, I had these thoughts come to my mind like okay if you take these larger rocks and throw them down in front of you you can slide down to them and use your feet as sort of you know brakes And then from that point, you can do it again. And you can keep making your way slowly down the mountain um, that way. And that's what I did. And once I did that, there was a glacier there. And I hiked up and around it a couple different ways before I figured out the path to take. Mm -hmm. Um, Wasn't sure if it was going to fall through, you know, if I was going to fall through or not. I tried to um, maneuver that. Made it across this glacier, slid all the way down it, and... um, at that point, I can see that there's a campground at the other side of the lake, and I'm calling for help the whole time. And, um, you know, I, like you say, I don't really want to get into the details of what Jeff was saying and doing mm-hmm. at that time because I truly believe that it's sacred. This, mm-hmm. this time in his life was a sacred moment, and I don't want to um, sully that by sharing too much, but yeah. I will say that at that point, he was calling out my name. I was calling out for help and it was a very stressful moment um, where I wasn't even sure physically where to go or what to do. Mm -hmm. But I was calling out for help. I slid down that that glacier and made it to some granite and um, stood up on that completely numb, basically from, you know, the shoulders down at that point and uh, from the snow and the ice, calling out for help. they responded back, do you need help? The people from across the lake. I said yes, and then I saw nobody move. I saw no t- action taken. So I said it again, I need help. My friend has fallen. Didn't hear a response. And at that point realized, I'm going to have to swim across this lake to get to the campground because I'm not sure if they heard me or not. And we're burning daylight at this point. It's maybe 5 o'clock, yeah. and we have maybe 45 minutes left of daylight. So I decided to jump in the water and start swimming and that was a big risk for me because um, five or six years ago I was at Lake Powell and I nearly drowned and I know the risk now because of that Um, well and you you said your body's numb Mm -hmm. you're probably in shock at this point you've just watched 
something crazy going. Like if there's mm-hmm. any time maybe that your body is going to give up on you right. and you're in this, you know, this freezing cold, literally freezing cold water. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure split second decision. It and was. you just knew or thought this is what I have to do. There was no time to make any other decision. It was either you go and you help Jeff or you stay and you freeze and the sun goes down and Jeff's not going to make it if you do that. And you might not either. So you have to keep moving. Mm -hmm. So I jumped in the water and I swam around the perimeter, holding on to sort of the grass and the rocks as best as I could. And then free swimming in places where I couldn't until I came across the other side. And um, I came out of the water like a monster from the Black Lagoon. I mean, I'm sure the people at the campground were just stunned at this whole scene unfolding. Um, But... I climbed out and just as soon as I climbed out of the water, it was as if my body finally caught up with my mind and what I had seen and I just started breaking down crying. I held it together to that point and it was as soon as I uttered those words, my friend fell, he needs help face to face with people and I knew that I was going to be okay because I was at this campground and I thought at that time that Jeff would be okay because Mm -hmm. I had gotten help. I could release and just sort of yeah. start crying. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's some sort of, you know, I don't know the psychology behind it at all, but you were strong to where you needed to be. Right. And then when you had that point, you got, there was almost like a crutch yeah. that you could lean on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to these these people. And at that point, you know, you think Jeff had been responding to you. Mm-hmm. You think, okay, we're going to get help. We're going to get there. And so you worked with these people then to get the, and you got the Rangers eventually, right? I know there was some back and forth and it took yeah. a lot longer than you thought, unfortunately. Right. But eventually, you know, they helped finally take care of you a little bit mm-hmm. at this point and you get the Rangers and they send a search party over there, right? I mean, yeah. they do. And um, I'm not sure how much detail you do want mm-hmm. on that, but um, I'll share with you, you know, like you mentioned that there was some back and forth and that I thought that I was going to get help and that immediately they would send a helicopter and they informed me at that point no helicopters are coming out after this lightning and thunder that we've had and the fact that we had maybe 15 20 minutes left of daylight at that point um so they can't do any sort of search and rescue at night no they would not and the only person there that was equipped to to go and find him was the one ranger and um she attempted to do so and her headlamp went out while she was out there. Jeff stopped responding while she was out there on that side of the mountain looking for him. And we could hear and see all of this from the other side, the of, other the side of the lake. Yeah, and not in such great detail that you could actually see Jeff, but you could hear his voice and you could see her headlamp moving along and then you could see it go out in the silence that followed. So you could still you could still see the spot where you were. Right. Give or take, right? Give or take. Um, and across the way. So let's say normal conditions, ideal, mm-hmm. maybe not a, a glacier right there. Like mm-hmm. how long, how far are we talking? How long do you think someone could walk around to that? I mean, what's the distance? Well, based on how far um, it took the rangers, it was about a 45-minute to an hour hike. Oh, wow. So it's not, I mean, it's not close. This is no. still a big distance that you've you've come and swam across right. and, the lake and, and get where you are. That would be hiking from my point um, on my side of the mountain around the Out lake. Out and around. But there was no, I mean, if there had been a boat or something like that, they could have cut straight over. But there was no way to do that. Mm-hmm. So fastest they could get there was about 45 minutes, I would yeah. say. And then so she came back. 
Mm-hmm. She wasn't able to find him. Wasn't able to find him, and Jeff had stopped responding. So at that point, I'm thinking he's had a lot of blood loss, mm-hmm. um, and that he wasn't going to make it unless they sent somebody else. So um, she informed me at that point that they had already called for a larger search and rescue team to come up, and um, that they were on their way, but they had to hike all the way up from, you know, the base as well. It it wasn't as if they had cars that they could take on this trail or even horses. It was all on foot. So that was another several hours before they made it, and um, they finally made up made it up to the camp at Pear Lake at uh, probably around three in the morning. And their initial plan was to not make it, uh, to not attempt to rescue Jeff until the morning came. And after I pleaded with them and explained to them what condition he was in physically, um, when I left him, they understood that he was not going to make it until daylight. And at that point, they did um, repack their bags and hit the road and make it over to Jeff. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a group of four rescuers plus the original ranger that went over there together. So this is probably then th- you, three. They left at three. So, I mean, it's they four it, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's about it's the middle of the night, though. It's pitch morning, black. Pitch black. And um, by the time they made it to Jeff, they found Jeff, it was um, closer to about 5, 5.30 in the morning. So the sun was starting to come up. And um, I'm on the other side of the lake this entire time trying to contact th- them through uh, radio that they'd left me with but there was just no service we were just in a black hole as far as the radio frequencies go and um, we couldn't communicate with one another so I had no idea what was going on all I knew was that they said that once they got there and the sun did come up that's when the helicopter would come so I was just waiting and listening and hoping to hear a helicopter as the sun came up and hours passed and um it was about nine o'clock in the morning before I could see their little yellow rescue shirts start to sort of make their way back around um, around the mountain. And um, they were roped together and they were using basically a pulley technique um, because of how vertical it was to get up to where Jeff was. And um, by the time they made their way around, I knew what had happened because they weren't staying with Jeff and there was not a helicopter that had been called and I was realizing the reality of the situation at that point and um just trying to hold it together so is that the is that do you think when it first dawned on you or I mean that Jeff might not be coming back or I mean in that whole time frame what would would you just I mean you had to think you're just holding out hope because you'd left and he was talking to you and but then it was just taking longer and longer. Does it was it like a you were slowly losing that, or you held out until he got there, or what? Can you remember what um, you were thinking during that time? I was clinging desperately to this idea that I had in my mind, that was just that um, he was going to make it, and that he was going to be airlifted out of there. He was going to be taken to the hospital. He might have to be, you know, in a coma for a little while, but that he was going to be all right, and that I would meet his family at the hospital and be able to tell them the whole story. There would be no holes in that as far as understanding what had happened. And um, I I really did. I, I clung to this idea that, yeah, he's going to be all right. He's going to be fine. And for good reason, too. Within a couple hours um, prior to them actually coming to him, he was still calling out for help at that point. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, it was like, okay, we heard his voice around 3, 3.30 in the morning 
and now it's five in the morning that they're getting to him, he's going to be all right. Um, and at that point when the sun was coming up and there was no helicopter coming and there was no radio communication and I could see these little yellow shirts gathered around this one spot for several hours and I knew that that must be the spot where Jeff was even though I really couldn't see it. I couldn't see him but um, it was, you know, obviously I knew what was happening over there. The people around me, um, the other campers, they had rallied around me throughout the night. They had given me dry clothing to wear. They had put their, you know, blankets around me, their sleeping bags around me and had given me, you know, something to drink, something to eat and stayed with me. I could see that they were starting to realize what had happened. And that's when I started to kind of connect back with reality that, no, this isn't what you think it is. Yeah. And this is actually not going to end well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the interesting part is, I mean, that's something right there that most people will never have to go through mm-hmm. of living through a moment where you're watching somebody you care about pass away, right? Or right. not sure what's going to happen, you know? Uh, it's just not something that most people will have to do. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine um, being up there, having gone through those elements and stuff like that. And I just know, like, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I know that there was probably a reason you were there with Jeff right. from the beginning. Um, touching back to the reason, again, that I think mm-hmm. he wanted you to be with him, right? It's just like he knew if something ever were to happen, you want the toughest person to be with you. Um, and then obviously, so, I mean, that, that, that kind of covers that's in detail mm-hmm. what happened up there on that mountain. Right. And I know there's a lot of people that wanted to know that. There's a lot of people who don't know Jeff mm-hmm. and would never have known that story. Um, and it's important. You know, then there was a lot of back and forth. This is where I think all of us that were back home started getting information that next morning about what was going on up there mm-hmm. and stuff. And I know his family then was rushing to the scene um, to help get the car, get all of his belongings, do all that stuff. Right. But it was seems like that's now the start. This is now the beginning of mm-hmm. we've lost Jeff. Right. close friend, a brother, um, an uncle, mm-hmm. just a friend to so many people. What do we do with this? Mm-hmm. How do we pick ourselves up and handle it? What, I mean, you from a literal sense, like how, like, what, do you remember your thought process? Like, how do I even get off of this mountain? Right. I came up here with Jeff, like, I, I'm not leaving without him. Like, right. what do I do? I mean, what and was I that like? I would not leave without him. And that was something that was interesting too, is when, I, I mean, I was airlifted off of the mountain and had to wait an extra several hours. I mean, by the time I was taken down from the mountain, it was a full day after Jeff had passed and then some. Um, And our friends that we had met up there in Sequoia that we were planning on meeting up with later on in the evening and camping with, they had spent an entire night worrying about us. And um, once I saw them, it was just that reality where I, I, I... broke down and um I mean I I realized what had happened and that I had survived it and that Jeff didn't and it was just overwhelming in every way um I think the moment that I realized that I wasn't going to leave Jeff was that was when I was speaking to his family on the phone so the park through the help of some friends um they were actually able to get a hold of Jeff's family and like you said his brother-in-law and and his brother-in-law's brother-in-laws were grouping together and driving up there um, because their purpose was to get Jeff off of the mountain. And 
I realized I'm not going anywhere until Mm -hmm. Jeff is down too. I'm down from the mountain now. I'm okay. And I know that Jeff didn't make it, but his body is there and we need him down here. And so, um, we stayed in a hotel out right outside of the, outside of Sequoia. And then we drove back in the park at first light and, um, they, the rescue workers, they sent out a helicopter and brought him back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember hearing his voice the whole time saying what he had said to me earlier in that hike where he said, Margo, this is going to be hard, but you can do it. And I heard that over and over and over just echoing in my mind that entire time and throughout that ordeal that Jeff was with me, even though I couldn't speak to him directly and I couldn't, um, I knew that I wasn't going to speak to him face to face ever again. I felt that. And, um, that's been something that I've carried with me throughout, um, since we, you know, we came back down here to Mm -hmm. the city and we brought his car home and we started making preparations for, unfortunately, what had happened next, which was his funeral. And, um, you know, friends started coming out of the woodwork wanting to know what was the story, what happened to our beloved Jeff. And I had to decide to not retreat within myself, but instead to be open and to tell the story of what happened because I felt very strongly that that is what Jeff had asked me to do. Hmm. That he, in my in my mind and in the feelings that I had um, when actually seeing his body when um, they did bring him back down and um, before he was delivered to the coroner and being able to say goodbye to him, I felt that impression really strongly that he wanted me to be there for his friends and his family and um, to ensure that they knew what happened and that he was okay. And so I had to do that. And um, I can't tell you how many times I had to tell the basics of what happened to Jeff that day and how traumatic it was to have to tell that story over and over and over. And I did not sleep for many days and I still have nightmares six months later about it. And I still struggle with some of my day-to-day activities like driving without having a panic attack. And um, it's, it's a real true challenge and will continue to be. But I hear his voice saying that to me all the time that, Margo, you can do this. You got yeah. this. Well, it's It'll interesting be hard, but you can do it. That uh, And it was something that was shared, I think, at the funeral. And they talked about when they first came in here, where we are right now, to Jeff's room, mm-hmm. and found some things on his desk. And there was the quote, right, that, that was said, I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. That that was something Jeff lived by. Mm-hmm. That was something that, uh, you know, he just, it was part of who he was. And he says it to you. We put something on the Instagram account for the, for the um, podcast just today that that's the picture of the mountains and the outdoors. It says, I can do hard things. And it's something that, you know, that was the part that unfortunately it's, there was a reality that set in that what just happened happened. And again, nobody would ever wish that on anybody that you'd have to live through something like that. But then the point of all this for me in this podcast is life is going to come at you, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the only thing you can do is, is control how you react to that. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't control what happened to Jeff, even though you tried as hard as you could. And you literally, and I don't think anybody would ever question that. You did everything you possibly could to try and save him and to bring our friend home. Right. Um, but the fact of the matter is like sometimes these things are just bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And then the only thing you can do is figure out what do I do from here? 
and like you then you started mentioning you get back home there's the reality of of the situation unfortunately you have to plan a funeral everyone's got travel arrangements and everything and you have to retell that story right over and over again i just can't imagine just it's like reopening the wound constantly which i i mean was hard for you i'm sure but even for me i was on the other end of that so i kept waiting and waiting felt like i was in the dark like i just don't believe he's gone you know texts started going around to friends of you know this happened we're not sure we don't know much because you guys were up without reception most of the time and right. stuff and so it was most people were just curious because jeff did have that's that was the first part you started to really realize the impact that jeff had on so many people's lives absolutely the 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 magnitude and the scale of which who he was as a person started to touch so many different people's lives yeah i mean that's something that i wish jeff would have known during his lifetime that he had such a great impact on so many people i i just don't think that he ever really realized that it was Mm. and and most of us don't i don't think i think most of us sort of self sell ourselves short and we, you know, we might like ourselves okay, but we don't think we're that great. And, you know, we try to be good to our parents and good to our siblings and good to our friends. And we try to do a good job at work, but we fall short and um, we do the best we can and that's all we can give. And Jeff was very humble in all those ways. He really truly did not think super highly of himself. Um, Not that he thought he was awful or something like that, but he just didn't understand how powerful his influence for good was and we saw that in the days that followed how many people um said you know jeff is my best friend or one of my best friends someone who was there for me during this hard time in my life when no one else was and i can tell you myself that jeff had been there for me through some really dark times and and um i know he was that for so many others and i don't know if he ever really realized that Mm-hmm. So when he was just a, uh, he was the one that you never hear all these stories until it's too late, which is unfortunate to that mm-hmm. point. You never really know. I think sometimes how much other people really love you mm-hmm. while you're still here, because right. you know it's, it, for whatever reason we as humans probably just we don't tell each other we love each other enough. Mm-hmm. We don't share our feelings enough, and then you look and everybody you know at the funeral and in the days after when people would meet up, everyone had a story about. Oh yeah, Jeff just reached out to me last week. He called me or he texted me this or just, you know, sent me this note, this or that. I felt like everybody, I mean, did you feel that way? Like everybody had their own little thing with Jeff and it was like, I I looked at it, I'm just going, I don't know how he did it and had time for himself Mm -hmm. or for work or for anything because it seemed like he just was constantly communicating with people and that's where he was really good at it. You know, we all have our faults, we all have our shortcomings and None of us claim to say Jeff was the perfect human being while he was here. Right. But as far as communicating and sharing their feelings with somebody like that on a, oh. you know, written Yeah, he scale, was amazing at it. He was it. better than most. Absolutely. And I think since then, since then, a lot of us have um, wanted to improve our ability to do that. We've wanted to reach out to friends more. And I think we've done a better job of it because of Jeff's passing and his example. Um that we've realized the impact that this one person had was so large. We all sort of want to strive to be like Jeff in that way. And like you say, none of us is claiming that he's perfect. He's a human, he was a human being here on the earth with the rest of us, but he did something very simple that was very powerful. And that's what makes it 
something that is achievable by everybody. Everybody can reach out a little bit more to friends, family, loved ones. Just ask if you're okay. If Ask if um, you're having a good day. Say happy birthday on someone's birthday. Those were the little things that he did that made it so that people knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were important to him. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that's, for me, actually one of the things that I felt has helped me, like that I've learned from Jeff the most in this whole process is I just felt like I always have these thoughts of like, oh, I haven't talked to so-and-so in a while. Maybe I should like text him or call him. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, I feel like it might be weird. Mm-hmm. I have, like, what was, what's the reason for reaching out? And I just, I'm like, ah, no, no, this or that. And I, I feel like since then, and again, I'm not perfect by any means. I'm striving to reach my Jeff level of this. <laughs> but it's, I feel like there's people that if you have the thought, for whatever reason, people, if someone pops in your head from your childhood, from a few years ago, from whatever, how hard is it really just to say, send a text or something and say, hey, thinking of you, like, or some inside joke that you share, whatever it is, whatever it might be. That's, I feel like I have so many of those. And I went back and scrolled through text conversations with Jeff. And I just felt like it was always, it was always him starting the, the conversation. Mm-hmm. It was always him doing that. And I thought, how hard is it really for us? No matter where that, that prompting or that feeling is coming from, if someone pops in your head, why not reach out? Why not just say hi it. and tell them you were thinking about it? Because right. now on that flip side, when you see how much it means to other people, like it just makes other people's day. It makes them feel so warm and happy about themselves. And even if Jeff didn't know how much he was loved, I think everybody knew how much Jeff loved them. It's so true. Yeah, there's no question about that. And it's something we continue to carry on in the wake of losing him. That we know for certain that Jeff loves us and that um, he he's always going to have that influence on us. That, you know, you can read those old texts, you can look through old emails, what have you, and know that Jeff was thinking about you because he loved you and was a good friend. And, you know, from my personal standpoint, um, and my religious beliefs, I believe he still is that way and still, you know, is a part of our lives and has that same influence with us. And um, it's not hard to do those things. It's a very simple change in your behavior to when someone pops in your mind, send them a text message or, mm-hmm. you know, give them a call. It doesn't take a lot of effort. And I think that's what makes it one of the great takeaways from what happened to Jeff, yeah. that we can all be better people in these really simple but meaningful ways. Yeah. When I definitely feel like that's been something that I feel on a daily basis. I mean, it's the reason right now that we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I still believe Jeff is here with us. And I still believe we can feel his, you know, his spirit with us all the time. That's, you know, our beliefs in the afterlife and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I just felt his promptings with me. That was the reason I just, I've thought about Jeff every day that since he's been gone. And today, you know, we're doing this on the six month anniversary. feels like it, not the appropriate word for it, but the six month mark mm-hmm. since Jeff passed. Um, and it's, I've thought about him every day since then. And it was, you know, back a few months ago when I just thought, you know, I should do something about this. I should do, and I just kept thinking about all the good that I felt because of it. Even you and I, Margo, I mean, this is, we were friends. We mentioned that before, but mm-hmm. life takes you different ways and you go to your different routes. And it's been, unfortunately, the loss of a close friend that has brought us together. Right. But it happened and it has brought us together. Mm-hmm. And Jeff's death is not in vain. There's been so many good things that even you and several other people that I've just lost contact with, mm-hmm. I now talk to regularly because 
you realize what is important and the people that um, matter to you and stuff like that. And I think that's something I watched at the funeral. I mean, unbelievable amount of people came to show support like for Jeff. Over a thousand people on a on a Monday, you know, right. <laughs> not not a weekend. People had to take off of work for the most part and come do. It. And it just it's, I remember turning around at one point and looking back, just being blown away right by the amount of people that felt the need to come show their support and pay their dues for such an amazing person um and the people that were you know there was a lot of there may be rifts and things that exist between people and friendships and i watched a lot of different people like mend that and just get over it it and come together in their love of jeff that maybe you and i don't see eye to eye or we you know something Mm -hmm. happened in our past but today and probably moving forward that just doesn't matter and it was really interesting and, and a, an incredible experience to watch people go through that and, and come together. It's so true. And for me, I think what it speaks to is that when something like this happens, you know, it is so unfortunate, but it's as if this veil is lifted from our eyes and we can all of a sudden see what is important and what just does not matter. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I, we saw that happen with all of these people, like you say, people that had, you know, rifts between one another and um, people who just maybe hadn't talked in several years or had legitimate issues with one another that were here as a part of this community of friends that was there for Jeff. And all of that was just melted away uh, because none of it mattered anymore. Mm-hmm. None of it mattered. And we all knew that in that moment, that the only thing that mattered here was our love for this friend that we had all lost. And it brought us together in this really special uh, way that was unifying and sort of cleansing of all this garbage. Um, I think we often believe that you know things are important in this world that just aren't. And I know that I've mentioned that to you before, just this kind of thought that um, it's we think that the world is one thing and we think there's so much importance and value with, you know, what car, kind of car we drive and house we live in and job we have and all these things. But the truth is, is none of it really matters. Mm-hmm. It's all part of this very temporary, temporal plane. And in those moments, those final moments that I had with Jeff, and in the days that followed and in these interactions with friends afterward at his funeral, I think we all felt that sense that none of that matters or is even real. It's all about the connections we make with one another. And that's what we carry with us into the next life. Yeah. I mean, it just for whatever reason, that's, you know, I think a lot of people, anyone who's experienced death and most people at one point or another, um, whether it's, you know, a family member, grandparent, a friend, something like that, have... Mm-hmm have had someone die. It was a unique experience with Jeff, I would say, being, you know, that he was so young right. at 37. It, w- it was unexpected. Accidents, I think, always, you know, more so than someone dying of old age or something like that. doesn't make it any less easy, but it just was more unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I think it's as a result of that, you start seeing that you start to take inventory. You start to really, like, I just, you know, he was just here and now he's not. And you, you try and not take the little things for granted anymore and appreciate what really matters. And to your point, I think that's such an awesome perspective to take away from this that what I mean, what is all of this? What is the big house, the fancy cars if you don't have the people in your life that you care about? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a hard thing to keep in perspective because you get caught up in the day-to-day. You can't always just focus on 
on the little things, unfortunately, but I think that's an interesting thing to, um, a perspective to take that what really matters and, and how you do that. I'm curious then. So even just going back to the, the, the narrative, the story there. So what is it? I mean, how do you pick up your life and, and get back to a, a, any sort of a, a semblance of a normal lifestyle after going through something like that? What was that like in the, I mean, days, well, weeks, even now months leading yeah. up to that? To be super honest with you, Scott, I'm still going through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. I really am still sort of in that gauntlet and yeah. um, dealing with it day to day. Those who are the closest to me know that there are still a lot of tears. There's a lot I'm processing um, through some dear friends. I was able to find an, a special kind of counseling called EMDR therapy, which is specific for those with PTSD, and it's very effective. And um, Jeff's family has been so supportive in helping me along with that process. But it is a process, and I you know, have setbacks all the time. And um, even just getting through a night without having a nightmare yeah. is sometimes a challenge. And um, so I don't want to sugarcoat it and say, well, I went through this, and then I did this one thing. Here's this one trick. You, know? <laughs> you can and do then, it too. <laughs> yeah, you can do it too. It's just you know this easy formula. It's not that way. I think the truth is um, that it takes time, and it takes the support of loved ones, mm-hmm. friends, and family rallying around you. And because Jeff was and is so loved, those who love Jeff are here for me now too. And I think the reason being is because they know that I attempted everything I could for their friend and I risked my own life. I mean, they the Rangers said multiple times throughout the course of those two days that I should not be alive. I should not have made it. Um, They don't know how I climbed down from where he was. And it's a miracle. And knowing that is a start as far as the healing process goes. Um, Just being grateful for my Mm -hmm. existence. Being grateful that I, for whatever reason, have been asked to stay. Um, That's part of the healing process. Um, Having the love of those friends and family that um, not just my friends and family, but the friends and family of Jeff that yeah. have now become my friends and family. And I truly mean that when I think about the Browns, I do see them and feel for them like family because they have been so wonderful uh, and can continue to be. Um, they've almost, I feel like watching from an outsider, they I feel like they've adopted you into their family and taken you in as, is the Jeff surrogate almost, right? I mean, absolutely. I watched it. It's just, and you didn't know Jeff's parents before this. Right. Right. I mean, right. It, and I'd only met them once or twice, and it really does feel like all of us have picked up an extra set of parents. It's so and true. And all of this, they've been so amazing in, in having people to their home. I believe as we record this, if I'm not mistaken, they're in Utah, and they're having a bunch of Jess friends today on the six-month mark into Absolutely. into their home to get together and talk about Jeff. And it's like, what amazing people are they? And, and it shows in the, in the son that they raised, mm-hmm. that the type of person that he was and stuff like that, which is amazing. I think also that, um, you know, his family, you know, if you want to talk about people who have really lived through it and found a way to successfully um, get back to life, not me- not saying that they aren't struggling. They, are, they struggle greatly, mm-hmm. of course, with the loss of Jeff. Um, but they, they are just such people of faith and um, 
warmth and love and they know what's important and they know what is important are those relationships we have with others and so even in losing their son they are still able to reach out and be so friendly and warm and welcoming to others because they know that that is what Jeff would want them to do and um they know that he is supportive of that decision and it's a way to be close to Jeff being close to all of us as his friends um, and it, so I think it goes both ways. It's a very healing relationship to have them in my life. And I think for me to be in their life as well can offer some healing too. Yeah. And I think so. just going back to something you were just saying too, for, for them, for you, for anybody else too, I think it's, it's important to remember when you go through stuff like this too, like it's okay to hurt. Right. And yeah. it's okay to feel, I mean, however you feel, it's okay. It's not like you, cause I think there were times right afterwards where I like, I thought I needed to be feeling a certain way or that I should be getting it back together. You know, because it's like right. it didn't really affect my life on a day-to-day basis. And I thought, oh, you should, I mean, it shouldn't be getting to you this hard. Mm-hmm. But to me, it showed how much Jeff meant to me. And for someone like his family, that they lost their son, their brother, you know. I just, I can't imagine what I go through. And then for someone like you as well, like, it's okay that you're still struggling. I think sometimes we society tells us, you need to be okay. It's time to heal. You should you heal. Should you should hide it. And now. it's okay that like you struggle with it. And I've, I've admired that about you, you know, as you've gone through this. You've been very open with me, especially just about what you've been going through and, and the people you've been talking to and things like that. And I think it's in, 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 in death, there's no right way to handle it. You mm-hmm. know, like there's no, there's no uh, playbook for this. There's no right, right way to do Not this. And I think it's important that, that people remember that and keep that in perspective as well. Mm-hmm. But there has been a lot of good that has come of this as well in another sense that, and and maybe you can talk to this, because after Jeff passed, his friends rallied together and with his family and set up like a foundation. And there, I don't know how many people donated, but I believe the last I heard that $30,000 was raised right. in Jeff's name to do all this. Right. And it was actually, and it actually ended up being um, a little more than that. And I think that there are still some donations coming through, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily through the GoFundMe anymore, but just private donations, people who were friends of the family or, or friends of Jeff. And um, we've been able to earmark $30,000 of that for the search and rescue team in Sequoia National Park which wow. means a great deal to us because yeah. the whole goal um, was to find a way to heal through this money that friends wanted to donate. Um, and if there's any way at all that we can find um, some kind of furthered education or resources for the search and rescue teams there at the park where, you know, resources are limited. Mm-hmm. Um National parks don't get a lot as far as government funds go, and um, well, then I'm sure search and rescue. I exactly. mean, within within the parks budget, how much of it gets to that as That's well, right? Exactly right. It's not really an area where most want to donate to. Yeah. Um, and so most of the donations that do come to search and rescue, we learned from speaking with them on multiple occasions, uh, come from friends or family that unfortunately have been through a crisis like this, and it's just been. In- inspired to us um or it's felt inspired for us to use this money in some way to um, make that area of the park safer Mm -hmm. um we don't want this to happen to anybody else and 
when I think back on it and you know I know we went through this and described it but when I think back on it I understand that yes it was a scary moment and yes it was a precarious situation that we were in but anyone could have been in that situation we weren't doing something that was so outrageously death defying that it's sort of like duh you guys you know put yourself in that um in harm's way it wasn't that way and actually not too long ago um you know over christmas i decided to go on a trip to patagonia with some other girlfriends and we went on this girls backpacking adventure for six days and it was very challenging and one of the reasons I, why I chose to go was to try to heal from all of this and it was very healing, although I did have flashbacks throughout it. Um, it offered me a lot of comfort to just feel like Jeff was with me and really supportive of this choice that I had to go on this trip. But um, even just looking at that trip um, as a whole, I know that we can harken back to that whole concept of we can do hard things. And so just, um, you know, when I think about the money that was earmarked in that $30,000 and why we wanted to give it up or why we wanted to give it to the park, it was because we want that area of the park, of the park to be safer and for mm-hmm. people to know this is a dangerous area. But as I was in Patagonia, I was realizing, you know, so many of these really well-maintained trails are exactly like the trail that Jeff and I were on when this happened. Um, and so it's once again a testament to the fact that Jeff was very careful and thoughtful yeah. about where we were and what we were doing and anybody could find themselves in a situation like that. So um, I think that's important for us um, to know that this money is going to go toward some kind of effort to improving that, uh, the awareness of nothing else. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great point. Just, I mean, what it stands for and that what you can do with this money is to help so that nobody else has to go through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never know what will happen, but if there's anything you can do to make sure nobody else has to go through this, I think it's a positive thing. Absolutely. And that to me is a, is a great way to, to kind of wrap all of this together is that this, the whole point of this in finding the silver lining is Hopefully, nobody else has to go through what you, Margot, have mm-hmm. been through. You never know what's, where life is going to take you. But hopefully, others can, we can still learn something from your experience. And it's thing, something I believe in deeply is that we all have stories that we can tell. We all have lessons that we've learned. And I think it's, the hope with this would be that we can learn something from you and from your experience on how to do that. And I think that is, will be a great way to bring us back to like, the last question to ask ultimately and through all of this, we've gotten to know you and what happened is if there was one thing you could leave with other people that you learned through all this, if there, if there is, and there may be more than one, but if there was something, the silver lining to this experience with Jeff would be what in your opinion? There are a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there are definitely more than one as when I think about, um, what my takeaways are. There are multiple because this was just such a life-changing experience. But one of the most important ones that I would hope brings comfort and maybe some peace to others is just that we all have this strength inside of us that's larger than we believe. We're all stronger than we think we are. 
And so in these moments, these critical moments in our lives that we find ourselves in where we have to ask ourselves, are we brave enough? Are we going to be courageous or not? We can choose to be because we have this great strength within us. And it's not just about us as individuals, but it's about the strength we can garner from friends and family and from our religion and from our personal beliefs, whatever that may be, which is different from person to person. But there is all of this sort of community of strength um, rallying around each of us that we can turn to in times of need. And um, that's what got me off of that mountain. And that's why I'm surviving today and will continue to. Because I chose in that moment to be strong and I knew that I could and then I just did it. And I know that other people can. If they find themselves in a tough spot, they can choose to be courageous and they'll make it. Yeah, I think it's so awesome. We're all stronger than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And that's something we can learn from Jeff and all of this. And uh, this is obviously specially dedicated to Jeff. This episode, this entire podcast will always be... Um, in memory of our dear friend, Jeffrey Keith Brown. Um, and I want to always remember that, keep that in perspective. Um, Margo, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. You've set the tone for everything as we move forward. Um, maybe we'll have you back on later on as we get down the road and, and have you recap and give your thoughts of all the other guests and stuff like that as always being the first. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Again, we cannot thank Margo enough for being so willing to come on this show with us, for being brave enough to be the first guest on this new podcast and to help us, quite frankly, figure it out. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hopefully you learned as much as I did um, from her incredible, remarkable story. She went through so much and we are so grateful um, that she was able to come on and share that with us. If you know of anybody else like Margo or anyone who has been through a unique set of trials or challenges or anything and has an optimistic outlook on life, someone who is able to find the silver lining, we'd love to hear about them. We'd love to talk to them. Uh, you can contact us via email at silverliningspodcast at gmail.com or you can go on our website at silverliningspod.com and you can submit there as well. Um, if you'd like, you can follow us on Instagram at silverliningspodcast and we'll continue to share stuff and let you know when new episodes are out. Um, we are grateful that you're here with us. Hopefully you enjoyed that and hopefully you'll be with us uh, every step of the way. We've got plenty more to come. So thank you and talk soon.